1: that uh, was really good. Welcome to Kingsway. If you're visiting with us, maybe checking us out for a second time, welcome. We're super glad you're here. We're in a series called Relentless Pursuit. I'll explain more about that in just a moment. Where I want to start is this. So you may notice if you're visiting with us, we have these names written on the front of the stage, and you may have noticed there's some pillars. It's so what happens. A couple weeks ago, we just said, is there anybody that God has put on your mind and on your heart that you want to pray for, for them to find a connection to God? Perhaps they don't know God, or perhaps they grew up with them and they've since wandered or fallen away. Lots of kids and parents and siblings and friends and co-workers and childhood friends, their names are written all over the place. And so we're just praying for them, continuing to pray for them. Quick, quick story, and I'm, I'm not going to give any details to protect the innocent, right? But I got a text uh, earlier this week from a member who goes here and said, man, just super cool story that I'd share. And uh, this person, there's a connection to a person at work whose child has just been going through some stuff, and uh, God... Literally broke through. And so, what happened is, my, you know, the, the co workers spoke, and then this person comes home and tells their spouse about the story of this child and how they'd had this breakthrough about a revelation about God and God being for them and God loving them and all this stuff. And then uh, what happened was they started talking, and the spouse who's hearing the story went, That's the name that God put on my heart. And I've been praying for them every day since Sunday. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Because here's the thing. When prayer is a part of the process, there is always joy. There's always joy. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even if it's sacrificial, there's always joy. And the reason why Paul's gonna get to, and I'll show it to you here in Ephesians in just a minute, but I think sometimes we philosophize our way out of prayer. And I don't think that word is literal, but let's just go ahead and use it, right? I think we talk our way out of praying because we say things like, well, God already knows what I need, right? You know, if God loves me, he would just do it anyway. Or what does prayer really, if God already knows the future, then what do I need to ask it for? But then we run up against these passages where James says, you don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you got wrong motive, so God can't give it to you. But what if I were to align my heart with God and then tap into the power of heaven and then actually pray? What would happen? Let me show you a passage. Ephesians chapter one, Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. You're gonna notice this comes out of the book of Ephesians. That's the church in Ephesus. The city's name is Ephesus. It would be located today in modern day Turkey, I believe. I think I'm saying that right. And here's what he says to the church in Ephesus. I keep asking, so what's he doing? He's praying. I'm asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus to have a revelation from the Holy Spirit that they would know God better and love him more. In other words, we are taught to pray for other people, for God to move and do something, illuminate, reveal something in them that can't be done apart from him doing it. He goes on and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. May God open the eyes of your heart, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Let me just stop here for a second. Incomparably great power. I want you to hang on to that phrase because it's gonna be the backbone of everything else we talk about today. So Paul was praying for the church in Ephesus And he's talking about power. And there's a reason he's talking about power. And I gotta get to that in a minute. But before I get to that, let's just stop and actually pray Paul's words over us. So look, if you're visiting with us or you aren't sure about God yet, I get it. Would you just join me for a second and just trust for just a moment that maybe there's a being out there somewhere and he loves you and he wants what's best for you and the power that he has is significantly greater than any power you have. Ready? Let's pray. Oh, our great God and King, we love you and we need you. Lord, I need you right here in this place. We all come in here with, for different reasons. Some of us, we got, we got stuff that's just broken, weak places in our lives. We need you to shore them up and build them up and fix them. Some of us, God, we feel this burden from some responsibility that we have, and we wanna do it in a way that's honoring or pleasing to you. Some of us, God, we just, we feel empty. We, we, we feel isolated, we feel alone, we feel burned out. We need you to fill us up and restore us and rebuild us. Some of us are stuck in sin and we're worshiping idols and, and, and we're just following our flesh and ignoring what you say is best. And God, we need called out, rebuked, and reminded of your faithfulness that calls us to faithfulness. And Lord, whatever it is we come in here with today, I pray for the spirit of revelation and wisdom for us to see and to know who you are and what you want from us, that we would align our hearts and our lives to you no matter what, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, what Paul says next is he brings this power idea alive, and then I'm gonna show you where it comes from and why it's important, and then I'm gonna apply it to us. That's where we're going, all right? So the very next verse says, the power, the same power, the incomparably great power, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he, God, exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Okay, so just stop for a second before we read the rest of this stuff, all right? Super, super cool. Do you know why that's super cool? Because you all want raised from the dead too. And you know that this is a big deal. Now, I get it. Some of you may be visiting, you're not sure that Jesus rose from the dead. You know that's what Christians say, but you're not sure you believe it yet. I get it. That's fine. I just keep listening, right? But the same power that God exerted to raise Jesus from the dead is the power that is available to us when we pray. And the problem is, I, tend, I think we tend to think of the resurrection of Jesus as, a, as like a historical fact that happened thousands of years ago and not as a present day help for us today. When I was a little boy, I had a little dog, a little black dog. That's all I remember. I've seen a picture of him. I don't remember him at all um, because he didn't last real long in my life. He got hit by the garbage truck. And I've told this story before, so forgive me if you've been at Kingsway for a length of time, but there was a sandbox at the front of the yard. My parents were always worried because they lived like on a cul-de-sac, and the truck would just kind of back up, and I don't know, they didn't have the beep, 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 you know thing you have now or whatever, and obviously they didn't have cameras and whatnot, but they were always kind of worried I'd be playing in the sandbox and be me, not the dog. But one day my mom looks out the kitchen window, and she sees me playing with something, and she doesn't know what it is, so she comes out to check on me, and I'm playing with a dead dog. I know, right? Now, I have this sneaky suspicion the dog got hit, the dog didn't get smashed, right? I don't think it was that kind of scenario. But apparently, I can't, whatever, I don't know, trying to stand the dog or whatever, I don't know what was happening. And my mom's like, Matt, don't touch that. And I'm like, but mom, something's wrong. He's not responding. Well, obviously, the dog didn't make it. And uh, so every night, I prayed that God would bring Rocky back from the dead. And my parents were super afraid that God would answer that prayer. (laughs) And... uh, my mom, you know, said that they had this vision of like, you know, the dog like, like limping and I'm like, really, mom? You think God couldn't actually like put the dog back together? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, pet cemetery part one. All right. So um, what, what I bring that up for is because as a child, I had this profound faith that if God said he could, then why, would I, why wouldn't I ask? And look, I, do, I really don't believe God intends for us to pray for people to raise from the dead because ultimately they're in a better place if they have life in Jesus. They truly are rose from the dead with him. That's the bigger win. But what about for those of us who are still alive? Now, let's come back to this power thing, right? So the same power that rose Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. He goes on, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So this covers us. But this is interesting. I don't know if you know this. Throughout history, including today, people invoke names, and the names have power, right? So back then in Paul's day, there was the pantheon of gods. And, in, in you know, you had Zeus and, and in the city of Ephesus is one of the great wonders of the world. There's a temple, a great temple, to one of the goddesses called Artemis. You can look all this up if you're interested in knowing more about it. But they would invoke the name when they wanted something done. So they have gods of fertility and gods of war and gods of prosperity and gods of health. And they have all these different gods. And they would invoke a name. By the power of Grayskull or whatever it might be. I don't (laughs) think they used that one. But they would invoke a name. And Paul is saying we worship the only true God. The name that is above every other name. And the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, notice this, is in us. It's in us. And it says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So this is just like Paul's way of saying everything is from him. He said this in Colossians. We read this three weeks ago. Everything is from him and for him and by him and to him. Okay, so if Jesus is the head, where's the body? It's us. That's the analogy. I learned this, that if I wear dark pants and a dark shirt on our stage with a dark backdrop, if you ever look online, I look like a floating head. (laughs) Sometimes I have magic hands that float with me. And the reason I say that is imagine if you were to see this floating head walking around, you'd be like, what is wrong with that person? Where is their body? What is it like when people say that about Jesus? See, we've heard now for a long time in America I don't have a problem with Jesus. It's the church. See, we belong we to be one of those churches that is, um, I'm gonna risk this here, appropriately offensive. And what I mean by that is we never compromise on the holiness of God and the things that God says are good and right. Those are the things we hold to. And those things are offensive, even in my life, because God confronts me and says, hey, stop doing that. It's like, It's Okay, fine, you're God, I'm not. But we also want to be fully, appropriately filled and overflowing with the love, the compassion, the mercy, and the grace of God. Because that's Jesus filling us in every way. So God, don't let us be a church where there's just a head and no body. And here's the thing, like a body, it takes all of a body to make a church go. So it takes hands and it takes feet and it takes knees and it takes legs and it takes a torso. Somebody's got to be the backside of Christ. There are way too many people signed up for that over the last few decades. Nobody, come on now. All right, I'll keep moving. <laughs> Which part of the body are you? You know, at best, I'm the tongue. I get best. I get way too much credit when things go good and I <laughs> get way too much blame when things go bad, but I'm, I'm the tongue of this organization. And so what about the rest of us? He goes on, Paul Paul goes on, he says, when this became known, sorry, I'm in Acts now, I should look at my own notes, let me jump back for a second, because now I'm going to tell you where the church in Ephesus came from, I apologize. So what happened then is, the church in Ephesus was started in Acts chapter 19, right, everything that Paul just wrote, now I'm about to show you where it came from. So in Acts chapter 19, Paul goes into the church of Ephesus, the city, sorry, of Ephesus, there's no church yet, and he finds 12 men, and they believe, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. And Paul looks at them and he says, I'm confused, which baptism did you receive? And it turns out they received John the Baptist's baptism. So if you remember John the Baptist, which we're going to talk about here coming up, uh, John the Baptist came before Jesus, and uh, he's literally set the way, paved the way for everybody to get ready for Jesus. But it was a baptism of repentance. People were turning away from sin and turning to Christ, but Christ hadn't come yet. And so Jesus hadn't lived his life, done his ministry, died on the cross, rose from the dead, none of that. So the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. And so John asked them, which baptism did you receive? And they received John's baptism. So this whole conversation goes on, and and they, they receive the Holy Spirit, and then a church is born. Out of that, And it starts to grow quickly. Paul goes into the synagogues first, like he always did, the Jews first, and many of the Jews became obstinate and turned away from, from God. And so he then moved his ministry over to another guy's building and started teaching daily out of his building and making tents also. And the church just starts to grow and to grow and to grow. And what happens is God is testifying through Paul so profoundly that literally his sweat would fall on like a handkerchief or on an apron. And then people would take that after Paul had spoken and they would heal people with his sweaty, nasty handkerchief. You're like, that's awesome. Yeah, because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead was alive in Paul. Now, I'm not saying that if you can find my T-shirt laying backstage, that you should take it home and see what happens, all right? You're probably going to find you should wash it. That's what you should do with it. God testified to the ministry of Paul with crazy miracles so people would listen to him. And that testimony has gone on now, generation after generation after generation after generation till we stand where we stand today. People start hearing about that, and there's this religious leader called Sceva, and he's got these seven sons. And these seven sons, one day, they're confronting somebody who has a demon, and they're dealing with it, and the way they're dealing with it is they're invoking the name Paul and Jesus. Are you with me? And what happens is this demonically possessed man, now let's just pause. Some of you are thinking, well, how do I know if someone's demon-possessed? Because I think my sister might be, and um, my answer is, yeah, I don't know any more than you do. So what happens is these guys start to try to drive out this demon by using Paul and Jesus' name, and this demonic man looks at him and says, I know who Jesus is, I know who Paul is, you I don't know, and he beats the tar out of seven men, they run out of the house, beat up and bloody. And fear has come over the city of Ephesus. It's just spreading everywhere now. And what happens is the church actually starts to grow because people are like, wow, this guy, Paul, he's, something's going on here. And what happens is the church starts to take off. And that's where we pick up in Acts 19. So in Acts 19, it says... Sorry, go back to the other one. Go back to the other one. I messed up. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. So let me think. Just think about this for a minute. People are so afraid of God that they actually start responding the right way. Imagine a safe place for you to confess whatever it is that you've done that you're really embarrassed and ashamed about, and it's a safe place. That's the kind of church we want to be. My wisdom on this is everybody doesn't have to know everything, but somebody does. Secrets will kill you, and they lead you away from God. And the church in Ephesus started to grow because they just started to be a safe place where people could confess openly the things they've done. Here's the principle for that. Men confess to men. Women confess to women. This is why you need to go to the men's retreat, men. This is why women need to sign up for our women's day too. And this is why you need to be in a small group. You cannot do this sitting in a row. It would not be appropriate to do this here. But you need to find a community of people, and it takes time, and it takes a safe place, and it takes a church who is the body saying, I can't do everything, but I can love you, and I can serve you, and I can commit that together. And the next thing that happened, it says, and a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and it grew in power. Now, this is a fascinating thing. Let's just unpack this for a minute. I don't know what 50,000 Draculas is worth, but a a drachma, some of you are catching up. All right, a drachma drachma is worth a day's wages. So some of the church in Ephesus brought their magic books that they used to worship and do incantations. They're invoking names through sorcery and other acts of worship to these other gods, and they're bringing them out in public, and the total is 50,000 days' worth. So just simple math, if you put it in today's terms at any hour a day, and you make somewhere between 8 and $20 an hour, put it in there, it would be its total of between 3 and $8 million. Holy cow. Some of them probably worship that. Anyway, all right. Focus, Nickerson and focus. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The early church was so transformed by the presence of God in their lives that they said, there's literally nothing in this world that I wouldn't give up to see the glory of God made known among those around me. Why did they burn these publicly? The church could have got together and burned them in some back alley, some piece of land somebody owns somewhere. They could have done that but they brought them together publicly because they wanted to testify to the goodness of God in front of everybody. They wanted everybody to know, I'm all out on those other names. I'm all out on those other powers. I only want this one power, the only one that's real. I'll give whatever it takes to align my heart and my life to his. Because here's the reality. We always gravitate to our comfort zone and it is a great starting point. Like, I wanna commend you for that. But God never stops at our comfort zone. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, God wants to take you and push you past that. He wants to challenge you to go past that. It doesn't make sense. Some of you business people out there are thinking already, like, you know, we probably could have sold those books and made a a lot of money on that. You know what they could have done with all that money? They didn't care. They wanted the glory of God to be known and known right now. And so do we as a church. That's what we're all about. We have literally said, in case you're visiting, our mission at Kingsway is to become more like Jesus. What that means for us is we just keep studying Jesus. What did Jesus challenge each church, each disciple to do in their day and in their community, and how do we take the wisdom of that and apply it then to our day and in our community? And here's one piece, one nugget for today. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 19, 10. The son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came, in fact, he makes it really clear. There's moments where thousands of people are gathering to hear Jesus teach and heal stuff. And Jesus is like, hey, we gotta go. We gotta go to the other side of the lake. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? We got this great thing going on now. And Jesus is like, yeah, I didn't come here to draw a crowd. I came to seek and to save the lost. Let's go. And man, that didn't make any sense. If you wanna start a movement, Jesus, start here with these people. He's like, I do everything the Father tells me, period. As a church, that's the kind of approach we wanna take. We wanna be so passionate about seeking and saving the lost. Now, there's a, there's a tension in this. And the best way I can illustrate this is it's like a, it's like a rubber band, right? And the, a rubber band, have you ever noticed this, is worthless if you only pull on one side, <laughs> right? If I pull on the other side. And this is what the church has done for years. Well, the, the church should be about discipleship. It should be. The church should be about evangelism. It absolutely should be. The only way the church works, the same way the only way the rubber band works, and that is if you put tension on both sides, you must put the tension on both sides. And if you lean too far one way, it pulls. And if you lean too far the other way, it pulls. It's trying to find that balance. And there are seasons. Like we've had a lot of people coming. We are reaching people we haven't been reaching. Now the question is, how do we plug them into the life of the church so that we can grow them up in their faith and send them out to make a difference in their world? That's the tension. And we're always struggling with it. Billy Graham said it this way. I love the way Billy Graham said it. He said, find some friends change the world, and have fun doing it. That's what we want to do. i like, thank you, Billy, for making things so simple. I said in an hour what you said in five seconds. Well done. Okay, there's a reason he reached millions and I reached thousands. Okay, so find some friends, change the world, and have fun doing it. Now, where I want to take us next is we're heading to what is Relentless Pursuit, and what does this mean, and then I'm going to call you to something, is this. The very next chapter in the book of Acts, what happens is the Holy Spirit impresses upon Paul I want you to go to Jerusalem. The only problem is, in Jerusalem, there's been a plea that's put out that said, if Paul shows up, arrest him, and he knows he's probably going to die. But God has told him to go to Jerusalem, and eventually he does get arrested. And that's kind of where the book of Acts ends. We don't exactly know, for the book of Acts, what happens next. And uh, maybe Paul's out there somewhere, still alive. I'm just kidding. So anyway, what happens next is... um, he gathers the Ephesian elders together. He spent two years in Ephesus. He loves these men. He cares for them. He's literally sent Timothy to them. He wrote the, wrote the book of first second Timothy to them. I mean, he loves this church. And when he gathers together with them, he's telling them, I gotta go to Jerusalem. And they're crying and begging him not to go. Like, don't go, don't go, don't go. And Paul's like, I have to. In fact, he says here, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in, ev- in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that the prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's it. Now, history tells us that he was arrested and eventually, eventually, he's killed. Paul's like, I don't care. (laughs) I mean, I'm gonna die anyway, right? And if Jesus wants me to go and this is how it happens and this is where it happens, so be it. I'm going to bring him glory, and lives are going to be changed. But then he says, and then the next thing he says, don't put it up yet. The next thing he says, okay. I said it just too late. That's my fault. The next thing he says is super powerful because it's like his dying words. You know this. If you visit somebody on their deathbed, and they're lucid enough to have a conversation, and they call all their loved ones together, and they're going to make a closing statement, right? What they say would be really important. Like, I love you. Life's been great. Here's something I need you to know. Here's something I need you to do, right? It's really important. And you're gonna take that and you're gonna keep it treasured in your heart because it's like, ah, I really want to do this. And Paul's last words are this, Acts 20, 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of work, hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, when I'm gone, And I can't be there to write any more letters to you. I can't show up and coach you every once in a while. Please don't forget this. The church exists to help the weak. That's why we're here. Don't just gather together and have a country club. Don't do that. (laughs) Gather together and help the weak. So we keep getting this question. What is Relentless Pursuit all about? Well, I've been giving a summary each week. Relentless Pursuit is all about helping people in their weakness. Now, we live in an affluent community. We don't have a massive homeless population in Hendricks County. You would be surprised if you learned about the uh, suburban homelessness, but we don't have a massive food problem in Hendricks County. It's not that there isn't any. I'm not dismissing what does exist. The weak in our community look like parents who desperately need help coaching their kids. They don't know how to raise them. They don't know what to do. They came from a broken home themselves. They didn't have a model. It looks like marriages that are on the brink of failing. I read a few years ago, I don't know if this is still accurate, but a few years ago, do you know the number one cause of poverty in America was divorce? It cost thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to go through the divorce. And then you get the brokenness in the home and all the trickle-down effect, what happens to the kids, and that the kids are raised in that. Some of you know exactly what it's like. This is not a guilt trip. I'm saying we want to be a church who comes alongside the weaknesses in our community and say, how do we love you and lead you and coach you and serve you to the best of our ability through the power of the Holy Spirit, the incomparably great power at work in us? How do we come alongside you? And there's business people in this community who they want to do good for their families in this community and in this world. What would it look like if we were to come alongside them and coach them up? So that's really what Let Pursuit is all about. Before I tell you details, I'm gonna share some details today. I really uh, wanna share a story with you. This comes from a family who's been at Kingsway for a short amount of time now, and they've, just, they've been touched by Kingsway, and I wanted to share their story with you, so if you just watch the screen, then we'll, we'll clap for them and encourage them, and we're done, right? Case okay, so are here right now. Here we go.
0: I had been telling him, I really want to find a church. I really want to start reading the Bible because, I mean, I kind of grew up Christian, but yes and no, not really. And I just felt like something, like I needed more. I was missing something. And so I was talking to him about it, and he wasn't as eager as I was. And then I just decided that's what I want for Mother's Day. That's my Mother's Day present. I want to go to church as a family. And that's what we did. So I grew up with a dad. Uh, He went to Bible college, and so I had that with his side
1: of the family. My mom and dad never were married or anything, so I never knew a together home. I grew up uh,
0: in the church era where they would kind of expect the Sunday best, so just being able to come in a casual and not feel judged or anything like that, was it made a big difference. Um, it was intimidating at first. Walking into the campus, it's a big campus, there's a lot of people, and especially Mother's Day, there was a lot of people. Um, we came, we found Gina. Of course, Gina sits in the front row. So that was like, OK, here we are, <laughs> sitting in the front row. Um, now we sit in the second row. so still up there in the front but after we kind of got in here and got situated I just felt this overwhelming just like peace just calmness and I remember texting my aunt when we got home because she was like how was it how was it because my aunt's a very positive Christian influence in my life she was like how was it tell me all about it and I was like I think I found where I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be like this this is my church I already know it I knew from Mother's Day starting point is exactly what it's called, it's a, it's a starting point, um, you can get connected with other new people who are coming to Kingsway or people who have been here for a long time and they just kind of want a refresher on what Kingsway is all about. Um, it touches briefly on Jesus and the gospel and it just really kind of teaches you who Kingsway is as a church and their values, our values. My family came up from Bloomington. I even had a family member drive all the way from Illinois to come to see us get baptized. Um, we decided we wanted to become members of Kingsway. We went all in, as the shirt says. And we got baptized, him and I, and our daughter. And I know, like, that morning, my like, dad was just up, ready to go yes and uh, <laughs> I was uh, so excited just, just excited to do it and then what's crazy to me is like I kind of have like social anxiety super really bad yeah so I was able to just look at Andy and like uh, did it perfectly like loud did, clear <laughs> like I am ready <laughs> And he was like, who's going to go first? And he's like, I'm going first. (laughs) Um, And then I started serving. I serve in the kids' ministry. Every Sunday I'm in the blue room. I was intimidated. I was so nervous of these third graders. Kids are scary. I was intimidated. I was like, oh my gosh, what if I say something wrong? What if they don't like me? And I think it was like, I don't know, my second month in, I don't remember when it was, but Becca had texted me through the week and was like, hey, can we switch you so you'll attend nine o'clock service and we need you to volunteer for the 11 a.m. Usually I'm volunteering for 9 a.m. So I dropped Ayla off in the blue room and then I was gonna come in here to attend service. And one of the other kids ran up to me from the room and gave me a hug and was like, you're late. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not gonna be in here this morning. I'm in the second service. And he was like, what? That's not fair. So just seeing like, okay, I am, I'm, a, I'm actually influencing these kids and having an impact in their life. You don't see it at first or right away or every time you're in there, you don't see it. But moments like that, it's like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where God wants me.
1: Thank you. Listen, I know you've got your own Kingsway story. I know God is doing things in you, and, and maybe this is your first time and you're waiting for your Kingsway story. I, I only know that I sense God's presence among us, and I know that God wants to touch and change lives. And the question I keep asking myself is how do we partner with God? To create the best place possible for him to do that and that's really what we lens pursuit is about so you've been hearing about this last week if you weren't here we handed out commitment cards you could pick one up at the connect hub today if you're interested i only ask if you took one home don't grab a second one they cost money to make them and so it wouldn't it doesn't really help if we're spending more money to make more money right we're trying to be wise with the dollars we have so if you have it use it if you lost it we can get you one you can print it you could put on a paper one all right Here's what Relentless suit is about. I'll cover quickly what I did last week while I tell you a little bit more. First, let me show you a dollar because we're going to break this up. and help you visually wrap your head around it. So we hope to collect more than a dollar, but a dollar, we we'll use it as an analogy. We're going to break the dollar into three parts. You'll see the three parts here represented by these colors. So that kind of shows you if we have the full amount given, $6 million, we're going to spend it in these three ways. The first way is 10% is going to go to outreach. So just this little sliver here of every dollar that comes in, 10% is going to go back out. We're reaching out to our mission partners and outreach partners. I told you about this last week, so I'm not going to cover a lot here. But we don't know how much yet. We don't know what yet until we have a commitment from the church. Then we can start to build those partnerships and those plans and, and get to know you. We'll update you and make videos all along the way. It's going to be exciting. Maybe it will be trips and other things come out of it. But one of the things I didn't say last week when I added that is a church plan. There are between 3,000 and 4,000 churches in America every single year that close their doors. They're done. COVID actually sped that up. It's a higher number, but I don't know the most accurate number, and I don't know if it's settled down since COVID because we're still very much in that. What we know is church plants reach more people than established churches do like us. We're in our 50th year. Church plants tend to reach more people. Now I get it. I've had a lot of members who've been here a long time go, Matt, didn't we try this? We bought land and playing field in the Long Island yards. I can tell you more about what I know we're not doing than I can about what I know we are doing because we don't know yet. What I know is we're not planning to buy land. We're not planning to buy a building, but we don't know where and we don't know with whom yet. So we are having conversations with church planning organizations and saying, look, it might be in another country. It might be here in the United States, but we don't just see this as writing a check and here's some dollars. We see this as a partnership over the next handful of years or so where we're praying with them and they're visiting us and we're visiting them. And it's like, you are us. Even though you're your own thing, this is us birthing you into the world and helping you get established and on your feet before we go and do it again. So that's what I know about that. The next one is, that's all I'm gonna say about that, 33%, 33% is uh, gonna go to, reducing our debt, and uh, some of you get really, really excited about this. I will say, by and large, unless you love Kingsway and want to see us out of debt, it's hard to get people excited about paying off debt, and it's hard to get Americans excited about paying off their own debt, let alone paying off their church's debt, but if we go with the $9.6 million figure we shared last week, right now we have 8.1, but when we ran these figures 18 months ago, we had $9.6 million. If we were to cut that number in half, get to around 4.8, we would save roughly $30,000 a month in debt. I know, that's am- yeah, praise God, yes, thank you. Dave Ramsey, that thing. Okay, so <laughs> the goal is to get to, where we have more, ministry going, more money going into ministry than going into the building. Then the last portion of that dollar will be 57%. 57% will be invested on the corner of 10th and Dan Jones for the purpose of helping the week in our community, whether that's here literally on Sunday mornings or throughout the week through various ministries and partnerships. So quick list, I went through some of these last week. I'm going to hit those quickly and tell you a little bit more detail. So we are going to launch a daycare, we hope, by the end of this year. We're going to launch a Christian counseling center, we hope, by the end of this year. Again, God willing. We're going to build a master site plan. We're working on that now. And I told you we're going to invest in AVL. That's Audio, Video, Lighting, in here, even this morning, um, Phil, who does a great job, he runs our sound and tech, and uh, he was literally rebooting the computer 15 minutes before the nine o'clock service because it had messed up the screen did, and he was a little bit anxious. I could see the stress in him, and I'm like, I'm just going to shut up and get out of the way because poor Phil's stress, like, is this going to work today? I said, you know, Phil, it'd be a great illustration if I have to stand up and we don't have any screens. Like, hey, I told you we need AVL issues. So that's a, some of that money will be invested in this space for those issues. However, You may have noticed that we have parking lot issues. Have you noticed this? Have you, you know, as you're out there playing Frogger and trying to dodge people and and holes all over the place? Yeah, we know we need to make an investment. But parking lot is about as exciting as debt. People do not get excited. You're adding no square footage. It's just concrete. Here's how God is moving in our midst. I don't know, uh, eight months ago, I don't know what the number is, a while back now, last year, a gentleman came up to me and he said, hey, Matt, we, we're coming over and you know, we've been Christians for a while. God's just calling us to this church, a lot of reasons why. And he said, hey, I noticed you guys have um, some, like need some parking lot work. And I was like, yeah, you noticed, huh? Yeah, I know, You know, kind of laughed about it. He said, well, look, that's what I do. I'm one of the largest Parking lot guys in the community, and I'd love to, to, to help you with that. And I was, I'm thinking, this is a smart businessman, right? A guy who owns a business comes to one of the largest parking lots in Hedges County, finds the guy at the top of the food chain, and says, Hey, I want to help you with that, right? and I said, Well, you know, we're actually talking about that right now. Well, you know, when it's time, well, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you. He comes up to me the next week, tells me his name again, says, Hi. He says, Hey, I, I just, man, I'm so excited about what God is doing here. I'm so excited. We're going to make this our church home. We're going to start starting point. We're going to get invested in a seriously, I want to help with that parking lot. I was like, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. So next week he comes up to me, same conversation, but he looks at me this time, he grabs my hand very firmly. He's got a very large hand compared to my little pastor hands. And, um, and he says, he's like, I'm going to beat you up. No, he says, um, no, 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 I'm joking. I'm totally joking. He looks at me and he says, look, I think you don't think I'm serious. I'm not looking to make a buck. This is my church and I want to help. Still said, thank you. We're not there yet. I promise. I promise Ben will call you. So Ben is the guy who ever sees this stuff. We knew from having conversations it was going to cost about a half a million dollars. Yeah. Exciting, huh? Let's build a parking lot. Let's go. (laughs) We took the quotes, and this gentleman, who's now one of us, his quote came in under $200,000. Because he wasn't joking. This is his church, and he loves this place. And he's going to personally oversee the project. He's going to personally write off a bunch of stuff. And he's like, he's so excited. He's so excited to bring his talents to the Lord here. Yeah. So there's are yeah. This, yeah. Thank you. So, so phase two. I, I know a lot less about phase two, except for a few years ago we made a significant investment in our kids ministry, and it's worked. The number one thing we hear when people visit Kingsway is, "Wow, your kid spaces are awesome." Yeah, we did that because we wanted to connect with people and their most real, most um, valuable asset, their children. But those kids are growing up. <laughs> And in fact, there are actual Sundays where we have like one or two seats available in our student ministry rooms. And we're like, that's a great problem to have. So our intention is phase two, which we hope will come next year at some point, we're going to make a significant investment in our student ministry spaces. After that, we are literally doing research all around our community to find out what are the needs of our community. We've got a lot of dreams and ideas, but they're not solid enough to share. But we know this. We just did a demographic study and found out that, you know what, there's a lot of families in our community, and they're all asking the same questions. What do I do with my kids on rainy and snowy days? And I don't know if you know this or not, but we live in Indiana. There's a lot of rainy and snowy days. And people are asking, where can I take my kids? Where can I help them to get other education opportunities or sporting opportunities? There's businesses and nonprofits in our community that we're talking to. And we just launched a leadership council made up of members from Kingsway and members of the community who don't go to Kingsway. And we're just asking this question, what does our community need? And we're just continuing to gather data. So if you want to know what we know, it'll always be updated at relentless-pursuit.org. You can find out everything that I've just said there. There's not a lot there yet, but we'll keep growing it as we go. Now, the question is, how do I be a part of relentless pursuit? I told you last week, my wife and I are wrestling with this. We we're literally talking, praying about it. And I, told, I think it was this service last week. I said, um, it might've been the nine o'clock, but I think it was this one. I said, you know, my wife is one of the most generous people I know. And I've come up, I think God has given me a number that's like big and audacious. And I don't know how we're going to hit it without God. And we shared what God put on our hearts. And of course, hers was bigger. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, My wife is always gonna be bigger than me on this. And that's part of the thing. Like, First of all, I want you to know your pastor's in. Your elders, your staff, key leaders in this church, they're making commitments. We're gathering those right now. And this week, we've already got, I think 20 of them already been turned in. And we're gonna share that with you next week. We're asking everybody else just to pray and seek the Lord. That's it, just pray and seek the Lord. Do whatever he tells you to do. Not out of guilt or compulsion, whatever he tells you to do, do it. But let me help you. So last week, we handed out the commitment card. Um, Look at this. I think that's so cool. I'm the only one. That's fine. So at the top of that commitment card with this little chart, and this little chart is just like, theoretically, if we were to get $6 million, it might look something like this. And you'll notice at the top of the chart, there's a um, a $600,000 gift. Again, that's over three years. I know some of you are sitting there going, wow, wouldn't it be great to write a $600,000 gift? God hasn't given me that gift. That's fine. God didn't give me that gift either. So, but that doesn't mean there isn't somebody here. And if you just kind of follow this chart, you kind of get an idea of how many we need at each to reach the goal. Now, this isn't hard and fast. God can get this in any way he wants. I've been told that don't be surprised if gifts come in 18 months from now, two years from now, two and a half years from now, people who aren't even in your church, that they join your church 18 months from now and God gets their heart and they're like, I'm in, let's go, how do we take part? And so don't be surprised if you hear about this periodically over the next three years as we're telling stories and God continues to grow that number. But... Here's what I would encourage you to do. As you're praying this week and hopefully bringing your commitment back next week, we're gonna have a big worship service. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna just bring our cards together. It's gonna be about a lot of singing and a very little Matt talking. It's gonna be awesome next week. So uh, some of you are like, yes. Anyway, what I encourage you to do is wherever your eye gravitates on that card, stop, pray about it. If you're married, pray about it separately and then come together and say, God really drew my eye to this number. And then I would encourage you to maybe consider going up one or two levels because remember, God never calls us to something comfortable or easy. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna do a lot of math and figure out, well, if I sell this or if I stop buying this or we don't go on this nice of a vacation, we can afford to do these things. Now, whatever it is that God leads you to do, just ask the question, God, what do you want me to do before you make your decision? And then respond, and then at that point, let it go. The guilt is off, that's it. My last two pieces of advice before we bring the worship team out here and we just sing is this, remember this. There's not gonna be equal gifts, but there will be equal sacrifice. You remember the story of the lady, the lady with the two mites. She's a widow. Two mites is like two small. We say pennies. It's smaller than pennies in our culture today. And Jesus is watching these, these, these religious Pharisees. are bringing in their massive bags of gold and coins, and they're dropping them in. They're making a big hubbub, and she just sneaks up and drops in her two little coins. And Jesus says, she gave more than all of them. And the disciples go, how? How can you say she gave more? And the point is, she gave sacrificially from what she had. They gave of their leftovers. She gave sacrificially. So look, not everybody's going to give the same check, but it's all significant. Every single gift is significant. And that's why we have to give a proportion to what God gave us. My job isn't to give according to what some of, some of you are amazing businessmen and women. You make great money. Praise God for that. I don't have those kinds of resources, but I have my resources. And so God's going to do this however he does it. And we're just going to celebrate and praise God for all that he's what I'm going to do is just ask you to stand with me. We're going to sing a song we've been singing for the last few weeks. And maybe right now you just need to wrestle with God. You might be angry. You might be frustrated. God, why do we keep talking about money? Others of you, you're like excited about what God is doing and you want to join him. And I just want to encourage you right now to just let the Spirit speak to you and start to receive it. And when you're ready, just sing this song with us.